I'm Janet Forrest, and this is The Bonds, The Mitchells, and The Dawn of Time. Episode 3. If you do a Google image search for Mariah Mitchell, one of the top results will be a portrait of her, elegantly dressed, seated, and looking through a telescope. This image romanticizes and perpetuates the story of Mariah as a lone astronomer on a distant island, discovering a comet and being the first woman awarded the gold medal from the King of Denmark. But like most success stories, it's not nearly that simple. First of all, Mariah wasn't working solo. As we discussed in previous episodes, she, along with her father, William Mitchell, were just two people in a large network of scientists sharing their observations and discoveries. Second, sharing of that information happened at a snail's pace. Remember, this is 1847. There's no Facebook or TikTok. Everything was communicated through letters. Not only that, Thanks to the bureaucracy-happy King of Denmark, Mariah would quickly learn that discovering a comet and getting recognized for discovering a comet were two entirely different things. In 1832, the King of Denmark decided to award a gold medal to anyone who discovered a comet that couldn't be seen with the naked eye. In order to be recognized, the discoverer would need to follow a series of specific steps. No exceptions, no partial credit, no do-overs. Step one, discover a comet, obviously. Step two, tell no one. Step three, write down your observations and calculations in a letter. Step four, mail your letter in the next post to Sir George Airy at the Royal Observatory in England. Sounds easy, right? Except you're living 30 miles out to sea, and there is no first post to Europe. Not to mention, you're a woman doing work that some people think you should not be doing. From the moment Mariah spotted the comet to the moment she received the medal was a complicated winding road. It would take the proverbial scientific village to make sure she got her just desserts. I'll let Jason Leonardo Finger of the Mariah Mitchell Association take it from here. Mariah was not necessarily actively looking for a comet. She swept the sky every night. She did her observations. She knew particularly certain portions of the sky really well, like the back of her hand. You know, she just knew something was there that didn't belong. So they write their letter, send it to the, you know, over to Europe. And a whole brouhaha ensues for like a year because Mariah didn't do it right. The Americans didn't know very much about the medal at all. There were one of two committees that you were supposed to write to. You were not supposed to discuss it with anybody else. You were just right. to write your little letter, send it off. And so there were two other people who saw it. Her calculations showed that she saw it before them, but they had oh, basically awarded it to someone else because of the incorrect process that William and Mariah took even though they didn't know what the correct process was. Right. It was actually the Bonds <laughs> who told William about the King of Denmark's gold medal. 
The Bonds in Cambridge were particularly invested in helping Mariah, not just because they were close friends. Here's Reference Library Associate Jim Borzilleri. And of course, the reason the Bonds knew about it is George had discovered a comet the previous year, and he didn't follow the rules either. And George already went, nope, sorry, you're disqualified. Even though you did find it, absolutely, you found it for anyone else, but it's got to be in the next post, and you didn't do that. And their noses were a little out of joint. And I think it was President Everett at Harvard. I think think he had just come there, and, and he was like... You want to fight in this, but this is an employee and he didn't really follow the rules. So I'm going to keep an eye on this, but I'm not going to I'm not going to raise a ruckus. A year later, when Mariah spots her comet, Harvard President Edward Everett knew he could advocate this time without any appearance of conflict of interest. The minute, you know, they saw the letter from William Mitchell, it's like, okay, this is good because this is someone who's not an employee. There's no obvious connection. And if you read the letters that were going back and forth internally and also from the bonds to Sir George area, it was like, okay, we know we messed up and we'll make sure other Americans know about this going forward. But here's this lone astronomer out on this and they really laid it on a little thick, this (laughs) this isolated island, this, you know, like she's almost back to that romantic image of like the self-taught person who's got no connection to anybody. She's perfect. Why won't you give it to her? Especially, and this was part of the PR campaign, they knew that the person who'd been given the medal, who I think was the observer at the Vatican, had looked at the numbers and dates and said, oh no, she saw it first. And he'd already found a few comments. While the Bonds were eager to advocate on Mariah's behalf, Mariah had some reservations. You know, Mariah was like, oh, I'm not so sure. You know, just very very kind of Mariah, didn't want to make a big deal about it. And uh, William's like, no, 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 you need to do this. But William also was aware there could be consequences. For instance, how would Alexander Dallas Bash, superintendent of the U.S. Coast Survey, feel about the publicity? Up until this point, Mariah had been working under the radar. In fact, this is how Bash describes the work that's being done by William and Mariah from the rooftop of the Pacific Bank in his 1847 report which came out after Mariah discovered the comet, but before she was awarded the medal. At the astronomical station at Nantucket, important as the southern extremity of the longest arc of the meridian, which can be determined on the New England coast, astronomical observations have been continued by William Mitchell Esquire and his assistant. William Mitchell was very, very concerned because... He was afraid that if it came out that Mariah Mitchell was doing this and she was working for the Coast Survey, working, I mean, it's questionable whether she was being paid at that point, but she was clearly doing work for the Coast Survey, that Mm -hmm. that could have a very negative impact on the Coast Survey itself. And he wrote Bash, I think, in what, February of 1848, saying, if this comes out, are are people in Congress going to say, you're wasting our money, you're hiring a woman to do this work, how foolish. You know, but Bash stuck to his guns. He he actually wrote a letter of congratulation. Over at Harvard College, President Everett, who wasn't willing to go to bat for George Bond after he discovered a comet, now was ready to lead the charge in getting Mariah the medal. But his reasons may not have been entirely altruistic. Clearly, President Everett is seeing an opportunity to promote not just Mariah, but this was now a boost to Harvard. It was a boost to America. And it was also a boost to the Harvard Observatory, because in effect, it would be saying, 
they could sort of act as a satellite. You know, if people send stuff to us, is that good enough and we'll send it on? So you've got this sort of opportunity to kind of promote American astronomy at a time when it really wanted it. He did a big letter writing campaign among many right. people, Everett right. and Mariah and the Comet. When the medal came to Boston, she missed it. She had been in Boston and she left and the next day it arrived and Edward Everett got his hands on it. And there we have a letter in which he's saying, well, I hope you don't mind. I took the liberty of showing it to people. And I was like, give me a break, man, it's hers. But maybe he felt ownership over it. So um, he showed it around before he sent it on the next boat to Nantucket. And so Mariah and William's concern that fame would backfire proved to be unfounded because it was in everyone's best interest to see Mariah succeed. As Mariah was breaking down barriers and earning the respect of the scientific community, the Bonds were ruffling the feathers of their colleagues, including the big bird himself, Coast Survey Superintendent Alexander Dallas Bash. It all started with a fateful trip to London in 1851. The Bonds traveled to the International Exposition to present their innovation of the American Method device which consists of graph paper mounted on a rotating drum connected to a very accurate clock. As the drum rotated, a stylus marked the time when the operator looking through a telescope observed the event they wanted to record, for example, the precise moment of solar noon. They instantly tapped a telegraph key, which interrupted the time recording, creating a timestamp accurate to a fraction of a second. It's a bit hard to describe the device through audio, but you can find a link to a photograph in the show notes. What's noteworthy about the innovation is that it improved astronomers' accuracy by an order of magnitude while creating a continuous graphic record. It was Sir George Airy, head of the Royal Observatory, the same George Airy who was the recipient of the letter-writing campaign on behalf of Mariah, who suggested to William Bond that the American Method device be submitted to the London Exhibition. William Bond asked for and received permission from Bash to submit the device, but it was sent as a Bond & Sons product, not as a U.S. Coast Survey device. It was said that the device was originally displayed in an alcove, but exhibition staff, possibly at the direction of Sir George Airy, moved it to a more prominent location. When William Bond & Sons is awarded a medal for the device, the media takes notice, and so does the scientific community. You see, William Bond and his sons weren't the only ones trying to crack this particular nut. Beige was gripping. He was livid because he was one of these people that said, I control all publicity, everything goes through me, I'm being very careful, I'm being very political, I'm making sure that everything I do serves a political purpose and you guys are grabbing the headlines. And that is the moment where this long, deep relationship between the bonds and the government, and that is the moment it starts to cool off. It'll take five years, but over that five-year period, base basically tries to cut the bonds out completely, simply because they're perceived as publicity hawks. But when we look at the letters, And again, these are the letters the family donated, so we don't know what else was going on. But in these letters, you've got William telling the kids, make sure the Coast Survey gets all their credit. And the kids are going, I don't know. I read this article today, and it looks like we're getting more credit than we should get. It was a concern they knew at the time, and they knew they were kind of walking on eggshells. Despite Bash's best efforts to cut ties with the Bonds, 
they would maintain their control of the Harvard Observatory and continue their work, though eventually their fiefdom would come to an end due to an entirely different circumstance. Next week, we'll talk about the Bond's drive and resilience to keep the firm alive in the face of a series of very unfortunate and tragic events. Most people would die of infectious disease. They didn't know what caused it. They didn't understand it was a bacillus. Germ theory didn't even exist. They wouldn't identify the bacillus until 1882, and there really wouldn't be a viable treatment until the 20th century. As horrible as it is to think about, to have six out of seven children die before the age of 40, that wasn't that unusual. This has been a production of the Nantucket Athenaeum. It was written, edited, and narrated by me, Janet Forrest. Special thanks to the Athenaeum's Reference Library Associate, Jim Borzilleri, and Historian and Deputy Director of the Mariah Mitchell Association, Jason Leonardo Finger, for their research and insights. The voice of Alexander Dallas Bash was performed by Andrew Camardi. Please check the show notes for more information and sources on the research. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps others find the show. If you really enjoyed it, please share it with a friend or a colleague. The Nantucket Athenaeum is located at 1 India Street in Nantucket, Massachusetts. We would love for you to stop by. You can visit us online at nantucketathenaeum.org. Stay tuned for our next episode of The Bonds, The Mitchells, and The Dawn of Time. <laughs>